Welcome to Prim and Prosper. I'm Elizabeth Hathaway. And I'm Marinella Mazzucato. Well, Marinella, back at it again. Uh, in a great follow-up to our last episode, which was on self-time, we are talking today about self-discovery. Um, and I thought, just like we did last time, we could start off with our definitions of self-discovery because I don't think it's... Um, I don't think it's an everyday term, and I think people might define it differently. So I'd love to hear what you consider self-discovery. Well, thank you for asking. Um, For me, self-discovery is getting in tune with the things that matter to you most, um, kind of like uncovering old, old things that maybe you left behind or taking away like things that interfere with the things that you would typically be wanting to do if you let go of all these other things that are standing in your way. Yeah. So I'm similar. So I think like last time, my definition is is aligned with yours. I think of self-discovery as, um, you know, like you said, kind of gaining insight to myself, um, thinking about my values and if my behaviors and the life I'm leading align with those values um, and and also like reevaluating those values because I think what I valued when I was younger is maybe not so much uh, as important to me as I've gotten older. Um, so yeah, I think it's this process of reflecting and then trying to mirror my actions to my values and the the things that drive me that I care about. So when did this uh, process start for you? Was it young or do you kind of remember when you first started thinking about self-discovery? For me, I think my self-discovery started very recently. Um, You know, when I was young, I kind of just went with a lot of what the crowd was doing, never really evaluated if those are the things that actually interested me. Um, And probably in the last few months to last year is when I've been really like going into self-discovery, like what it means to want to be, or what it means for me to want to be doing things at this age. Like you said, my values have changed, you know. Um, I'm kind of discovering what it means to be like an adult that's successful in my eyes versus what I thought I'm supposed to be. And it's a lot different than what it was six years ago. You know, my 30s have probably been the most eye-opening for me. And how about you? Yeah, so similar. I think the first time I'd ever considered self-discovery was when I moved to Chicago. I think it's because it forced me so out of my element and everything that I had known, um, you know, like it kind of challenged me and forced me to just start questioning what it is that I want in life. Um, and I, I believe I've mentioned on the show before, my mom passed away when I was in my 20s. And so I think it was also kind of like, you know, when my mom passed away, I was still going through the motions of college because that's what you're supposed to do. And I wanted to get my degree and I, I what I wanted to do required a master's degree. So I kind of went to grad school. And again, it was just like going through the motions. But after I graduated, it was at this weird crossroads where like everything I thought I was supposed to do was like checked off now. <laughs> and um and it was just this weird moment in time. A friend convinced me to move to Chicago. It really, like I said, challenged me, threw me on my comfort zone. And that was probably the first time I really started to, you know, consider what it is I wanted in life. Um, and a lot of that uh, reflection at that time was around like friendships and socializing and relationships. It wasn't necessarily as much professionally or um, even necessarily evaluating my values, which I know you and I both said was a big part of what we consider self-discovery. So it was almost like it was like a mini self-discovery phase that started in my 
mid to late 20s. So yeah. And then I would say with you, similar to you, 30s has been really a big a big time period for me. I think perspective, right, is a big part of it. It's like you need to have a little bit of life experience and then perspective on that to evaluate if what you've always done or what you've always valued is actually what you truly value and what you want to continue to do. Definitely. I mean, I think for myself, I spent, you know, so much time just like delaying actually figuring out what I wanted to do. Like I stayed in the service industry for so long. Um, I was just super afraid of you know, responsibility, getting to where I should be, not being able to sustain being like an adult, you know, finding that perfect relationship. I was in relationship after relationship for a long time, had two really long relationships and um, never really spent very much time alone. Like I lived by myself for quite some time, but I made made myself very busy with like work, and partying and I never really took a breath to be like okay what do I want to do and this is probably the first time in a very long time that I'm doing that and it's it's kind of it's kind of hard to uh do to kind of just like sit with yourself and like not make a decision based off of somebody asking you to do something like take the initiative on my sole interest and sometimes I don't really know what it is, and I'm just kind of taking a stab at things as they pop into my head. Yeah, it does feel like a lot of trial and error in this process. Um, and also, I think for me, the tough thing or one of the tough aspects has been I'm realizing what I truly value, and then as I look at my own actions and my own behaviors, I realize I'm not always aligning with those values. I think in some ways um, I'm closer than I was like in my 20s or my teens, if I were to look back. But in other ways, I, I feel like I've got this gaping hole between what I value and then like the actions and behaviors I take every day. And that's been hard to reconcile or, or sit with and then start thinking about how to progress forward do you think that's like the people pleaser in you that's still trying to like kind of take the values that maybe other people have placed as important and kind of decide to say eh, it's not really for me because that's where I struggle too where I'm like learning to say you know no I don't want to do that and not I guess not necessarily feel prepared to deal with people like debating me on it like that's mm -hmm. new for me yeah and they do debate you on that kind of stuff but it's kind of like trying to figure it out you know yeah I do think that that's definitely part of it I think another part of it for me is if I identify a value I want so here's an example I really value like grit and determination and perseverance and I don't feel like I'm a gritty person. I guess I maybe in some ways I'm a little bit that. I don't want to say I don't have any of those qualities. But like the level I want to be at is not where I am. So I think it's maybe for me a little bit back to my perfectionism where like I have this really high expectation that I'd be a very determined person and I'm falling short of this expectation for myself. And so then it's like, I'm a failure. I'm not good enough. Why even bother? And like, that's not helpful. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I think it's a little bit of people pleasing and a little bit of that perfectionism and setting myself up for failure, quote unquote. Yeah, so I guess maybe we're back at square one, I just realized. <laughs> I should go re-listen to that perfectionism, uh, perfectionism podcast episode. I mean, if anything went straight-lined, linear, that would be awesome, but it never does. So, Yeah, I think as far as self-discovery goes, are there any things that you've kind of just started poking yourself into that you're more comfortable with that 
you're not necessarily feeling like you have to be perfect at, but you're giving it a try? Yeah, I think for me, veganism was something that I had started to think about um, and felt morally that like that aligned, you know, ethically with with who I am. And that was a bit of a struggle at first, a huge struggle. Um, I was vegetarian for a while, then I went back to eating meat, then I went back to being vegetarian, then I finally cut out aspects like dairy and whatnot. So that, to your point about not being a linear, linear process, I mean, that was very much like, I guess I can't draw a graph on a podcast, but you know, it was very jagged back Some and forth line. Peaks and valleys. Yeah. Yes. Um, but now at this point, so it's probably been four or maybe close to five years, four and a half years. Um, and so like that's something that I feel is natural and a bit of my identity and who I am. So it is kind of interesting, right? Like as I'm saying this aloud and sharing that example, I'm like, why can't I apply that to this like grit, determination, perseverance value that I want to have? Why can't I understand that like the process is going to look the same with like a bunch of jagged little lines? Um, yeah, I guess I need to learn from <laughs> from my past personal experiences. Yeah, I I tend to apply that like grit and perseverance stuff to fitness and stuff where I'm like I'm gonna go really hard on it but it ends up kind of being like too much for me and -hmm. then when I think oh my gosh I can't sustain this then I kind of like go back to okay well I guess I can't do this the way that I want to do it so I'm not gonna get the results I want and I'll just kind of who cares anymore you know what I mean like Mm -hmm. So, like you, I'm hitting that perfectionism wall, and, you know, I I think I've decided that I'm going to take a more gentle approach with that and not try to have that grit and perseverance because the success of, like, you know, fitness and working out, I know, realistically, is, like, a long-term game. Like, I'm going to have to do it for the rest of my life to probably be in a good you know, in good shape and feel good. So I'm kind of treating it like a sprint where it's not, it's not sustainable. Yeah. It's definitely a marathon. Even if you sprint, it's all the metaphor of it. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not sprinting marathons. I'm crawling. (laughs) Um, Well, you know, it's so interesting hearing you talk about this because one of the other values. So when prepping for this episode, I was thinking about what values are important to me and you know that grit determination perseverance was one but another one you know was compassion and empathy and I think I'm pretty compassionate and empathetic toward others and very understanding most of the time I am not that way though with myself um, and it's so funny because right that perfectionist wall pops up I love that term that you had perfectionist wall it, like pops up I crash into it and then I'm just like angry and I beat myself up and I'm like well if I can't be perfect at this why bother you know I'm like why don't I show myself some of that compassion and empathy that I supposedly value and can show to others but I can't I don't know I haven't quite learned yet how to show myself those same courtesies that, that's funny that that's like your feelings of compassion towards others are great and then they're bad for you because I feel like I don't have very much compassion for myself and as a result I kind of I can lack it for certain people like people I'm very close to people I know very well I have that empathy and compassion but like the everyday person that like wrongs me in any sort of way like they make it on a list for me and it's really hard for me to like kind of reel it back in and not like disregard that person for pretty much the rest of their life and that's something that I'm trying to develop I even I even got a book recently called like the 12 steps of compassion just because I'm like I need to work on like 
believing people's stories of, you know, whatever, having a little bit of a heart for them because I've been really like cutthroat lately. <laughs> I love it. I love that you have a list. I, maybe off podcast, you can uh, tell me some of the characters that have made this list. So curious. Yeah, I, I don't want to be that way. I just, I, I can openly admit it like that. I just am quick to be like, no, you're, you're terrible. And I need to work on that. That's my journey I'm on right now. Well, I am a little bit of the opposite where I tend to have so much empathy and compassion. Like I'm someone who cries at any sad moment in a movie. Like even if I'm only slightly invested in that character, I cry for them. And even if I've seen that movie 40 million times and I know what's going to happen, I still cry. In fact, I usually start crying ahead knowing it's coming. Um, and if it's real life people, that that's just magnified for me. Um, but I am so not empathetic toward myself. It's just, it's utterly amazing to me that I can, yeah, have an emotion for other people that I can't um, express to myself. Um, so that's, I don't know, that's been an interesting value that I've been thinking about. Um, another value that I have, I don't feel like I fully match with, and this one's interesting because I used to feel that I was very strong here, and for some reason I feel like that has decreased over time, and I don't really know why, but that value is like dependability, reliability. I feel like I used to be very dependable and reliable my entire life, up until, I don't even know when it started, maybe in my 30s it's it's not like I can pinpoint it um and I'm still probably decently dependable but I don't feel like I anyways I feel like I've lost some of that and it's something I still value deeply and I don't know why I'm losing it um and that's something I'm trying to better understand I mean, I would still consider you dependable and reliable. I guess I'm just wondering what it would be like. What do you want to be dependable and reliable about? Um, I mean, so many areas of my life. Uh, I mean, work being one. And it, again, I think it's probably goes back to perfectionism where like my standard and my definition for it is so much higher than like where the average person would put it that I probably fall above where the average person would put it, but I'm still falling short of like where I would put it. So, I mean, perhaps part of it is like me bringing that expectation down to a more realistic standard. Um, but like, so work, I'll just use this as the example. I used to be somebody who, if I was given a project or I had something that I need to do, like I started on it early that way I could get it in early especially if it was like a project that involved you know um, other people I'm working with so like other colleagues um, I want to make sure that I could get my part done and over to them so they have plenty of time to work on their part and I don't feel like that's me anymore I feel like I procrastinate and again maybe that's because of a perfectionist thing I know procrastination perfectionism like <laughs> hold hands those two love each other um, but I see that as like a lack of dependability on my part but even as I say all of this I still get everything turned in by deadlines it's just like I'm doing it at the deadline instead of you know, hours or days before the deadline. So for me, that's where I've noticed the slip, even though, right, I'm still getting it done on the deadline. So I guess that makes me dependable and reliable. But in my head, it's not where I used to be and I noticed that slipping and it's kind of like, why is that slipping? If I value it, shouldn't I be on top of it? You know, I don't know. I think I can relate to you on the work stuff where like I used to be super like go-getter um, and dependable if people needed things from me. But um, I've noticed that with myself, like I shy away from opportunity. Um, and I think I've discovered that it's because I'm super good at being responsible for everybody else's stuff at work and in my personal life. Like I've always be just been 
super just in tune with what everybody else needs. But when it comes to me, like being responsible for myself, it's probably the one of more one of the more terrifying things for me. And like, I'm equipped to like manage certain departments or supervise certain departments at this point. But I kind of shy away from it because I know that I'm I'm responsible for the team, but I'm responsible for being the leader of the team. So it's it's kind of like. I want to get things done and do things right, but I don't want to have the pressure fall on my shoulders for how I performed, but I can handle performing everything for everyone else. Mm -hmm. So that's where I'm at right now. And that's, I mean, kind of holding me back. (laughs) (laughs) Let me ask or put you on the spot here. Since we've been talking a bit about values and what it is we care most about um, and apparently sharing our shortcomings with said values. (laughs) (laughs) Are there any values you feel like you've, you know, learned in this self-discovery process that you do feel like you're excelling in or that you, you know, are aligning well with? Some of the values I do think that I still have that through self-discovery are things for like you know, nature and more simple things in life. Mm -hmm. Um, That's always been a thing that I value. And the more I tap into it, the more I know that it it means a lot to me. Like I'm still going to prefer to take a vacation to a mountain over a city. Um, I still feel better when I go outside and take a walk versus, you know, go into a gym. Um, Another value I would say that I kind of hold on to still is like, quality time with people like I'm, I'm not big into gifts or material things but like if I'm not spending some time with the people that I care about or at least keeping in touch like it kind of takes a big chunk out of me mm-hmm. so maintaining friendships things like that are one of still one of my biggest values yeah I'm so quality time is important to me as well and I am someone who if I'm out at dinner if I'm hanging out with friends I don't like my phone to be out I don't even want to see it um, because like that's not where I want my focus to be so like that's a good thing when I'm socializing it's great that that's like tucked away and not the problem is I've kind of become so used to doing that and I find it's helpful for me on a mental level to try to minimize screen times that it's a detriment for my friendships that are long distance because I'm often coming in and I'm like 50 texts behind. And so I just have to do a cursory read on them and either, you know, try to address everything I missed and I'm like late to the conversation with it. Or I just am like, well, we'll have to join in at a later time. Um, So it's kind of, I, you know, I'm great in social aspects with that. I need to find a better balance with, you know, checking my phone and replying to messages because I do have a fair amount of friends that aren't local to me that 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 is the way we connect. Um, And it's important to me. And so I got to figure out how to do that without like overwhelming myself with the screen time aspect of it. Any tips? (laughs) Let me throw you out that question. (laughs) I mean, I'm the type of person that I don't feel bad FaceTime calling you without warning like that's what I that's what I do like I do it to my mom all the time and she'll pick up and she'll be like why you know I'm like I don't know I just feel like it's more personal and I wish everyone felt okay with receiving the call I think she has to because she's my mother and she's like oh, what, is, <laughs> what does she want you know like I have to pick up the call or she doesn't know how to not pick it up one of the two but I think that's like takes away the you know, texting, like, I mean, I'm part of multiple group chats and half the time, like, it's nice to be connected, but to me, it's, it's not quality all the time. Yeah. And like a face to face like this, like we're doing right now seems to be more quality by my definition. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, Not to go on a tangent here, but as you were sharing that story, it reminded me I dated this guy. um, Oh my gosh, I don't know, like, nine years ago maybe um so I was probably like late 20s maybe 30 
31, somewhere in that age range. But texting was still like, at that point, the common, like it had become the predominant mode of communication. And I just remember him always calling me. And it was a bit jarring at first because anyone outside dated was like a texter. And so I just kind of got into that habit or whatever. Uh, but it was actually really nice. I do feel like, I mean, I, I, obviously the relationship didn't work out, but it wasn't because of his calling. That was actually like a really great part of it. Um, Cause yeah, you do, you do just connect on a different level than you do with texting. So anyways, that was my side tangent on pick up the phone sometimes <laughs> to back up your, your point. Uh, you're right. It, it, does lead to, I think, a higher quality. I also find that in the mornings, um, because you and I have talked about this, I think, on this podcast before, we're both morning people, so we get up early, and, you know, Chicago is just, like, very peaceful in the morning, and I do my yoga, and then I, like, brew some coffee, and I sit on my couch and, you know, drink a little of my coffee, and that's actually a point where I typically pick up my phone, and I'll see all the like group thread chats that I ignored or didn't notice the night before. And so I'm often responding at like, you know, early in the morning, which works for you all since you're an hour ahead. I'm actually not that mm-hmm. early in the morning, but I don't know. That's kind of like the way I've been dealing with it. So it's like I'm missing out on the conversation in the moment. And I'm like participating in the fourth quarter next morning session. Um, but yeah. I might try to do maybe some sort of an evening before I go to bed, be better about, you know, checking and sending off a few messages. I don't know. I got to, I got to play around, toy around with it and find the right balance. We, we did used to try to schedule like more zoom meetings with our, our mutual group of friends, but I think as COVID got like longer and longer, it was just like, okay, you know, like, I mean, I still don't do a lot of zoom meetings for my job. Like I don't, I mean, I'm still averaging like one, maybe every two weeks at best because I just am in the building. But I could see how people are just like, no, I don't want to do them anymore. But is that how you feel? Because I know you're doing a lot of probably Zoom meetings. Yeah, it's tough. I do probably, I mean, it depends on the day, but in a given week, 10 to 15 hours are spent on Zoom. So I spend a good chunk of my time on Zoom calls. A lot of those are just internal, but sometimes it's external with clients. It just really depends. I think I'm a little bit better about Zoom now, a little less fatigued, that I can hang out with my friends who are local in person. So I wouldn't have to do, you know, because at the start of the pandemic, so much was shut down in Chicago that even my local friends, we were doing Zoom. So I had work Zooms and then my long distance friend Zooms and then my local friend Zooms. And at least I've eliminated like the local friend Zoom. So it's like, again, it's all about the balance. I think I have a little bit better of a balance. And thankfully I love my dad. He does not know how to Zoom. So we only phone call. And I gotta say, I love it. I hope he, (laughs) this sounds horrible. I hope he never figures out Zoom. (laughs) but I just enjoy our time so much more on the phone because then I don't you know it's hard it's hard sitting on a computer staring at a screen it is yeah and and for me like if I take a phone call now like I I make sure my bluetooth headphones are in and I I walk away from the phone so I don't really feel like I mean I'm just I'm just talking it's not really like being on the phone as much which is nice because you know Anything to get away from the screen for just a little bit. Um, but recently, I, going back to self-discovery, I accepted an invitation to a game night with some friends. Ooh. And this was like, I was, you know, expecting to like go there and it'd be like Cards Against Humanity or like just very like light, fun, whatever games. But when I got there, they had some games that were like extreme strategy, like... Uh, like magic card games is like completely out of my comfort zone and for me I'm also trying to like discover things outside of my comfort zone and I ended up having a pretty good time it just like it, it took a while for me to like get into it because 
you know, I had to put like all my judgments aside, like thinking this isn't going to be fun, you know, like it's going to take us an hour to learn this game, but I, I have to kind of learn to like give people a chance on that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think that's like a, a theme that's carried over from our last week's episode of, um, you know, getting outside your comfort zone. Um, I think it's a good use of your self time. And I also think it is part of self discovery. You know, I mentioned at the top of this episode, moving to Chicago was so much getting out of my comfort zone. And I think where I first started considering, you know, reflecting on my life and, you know, getting some insight into who I am and what I want and what drives me. Um, And so, yeah, I, I think even if it's the little things that get you out of your comfort zone, like just going, trying out a game night, I think that that's huge. Um, I know that, and I've shared this with you before, you know, when I moved to Chicago, um, I didn't really know anyone. I moved here with a friend that you know as well, um, but that was the only person I knew. And so I was <laughs> trying to figure out how to meet people. It's hard as an adult. And I joined a rec softball league. It wasn't totally out of my comfort zone in the sense that I'd played softball growing up, so I knew the game. Um, But it was going to be all strangers, and that was really out of my comfort zone. And actually, it did end up being a different type of softball. So Chicago has what's called 16-inch softball, and it's like a bigger ball that kind of gets like a little softer as the game goes on. It's not quite the same material. Uh, it's still hard. And I mean, people break their fingers on it a lot because you don't wear gloves. Well, men don't wear gloves. Women can wear gloves. But it's like a clunky big ball. Anyways, when I joined up for the rec softball, I didn't. I never seen two different forms of softball. And I didn't realize Chicago had this like other version of softball. So actually... Oh, there goes a car horn that will be in the podcast. Um, Anyways, I showed up there and I was like, what the F is this like ball? (laughs) What is this? Uh, So I did end up inadvertently getting outside my comfort zone because I apparently signed up for the wrong version of softball and quickly learned there are two versions in Chicago. So I'm not sure if I'm just learning this or maybe it's... Does the ball actually get soft in softball? Is that why it's called softball? No. it Well, no. A regular, I don't know actually why it's called softball, but a normal, like when you think of fast pitch softball or you watch the Olympics or like traditional softball, that ball is, it's, it's made of, I think, a slightly different material than a baseball and it's not quite, anyways, it's, it's hard like a baseball and it's a little bit bigger. It's 12 inches. 16-inch softball is obviously bigger than the 12-inch, and it's just like it it gets like if you keep playing with the same ball, it gets like mushy and worn down over time, mm-hmm. um, whereas like regular 12-inch softball, it won't do that. It stays hard pretty much, at least relatively. I think I guess if you probably played with it for like decades, it would soften up, but... <laughs> From no one's decay. advising. Yeah. <laughs> Fall apart. I don't know what would happen exactly. It'd be a science experiment. I mean, it, it's good that you, like, had the interest initially, at least, of softball, and you got, like, back into it to meet people, because that's something where, like, I'm kind of just trying to blindly meet people based on what they tell me that they're interested in. But, you know, those people kind of could be bullshitting you, too. Like, yeah, I'm interested in that. And you, like, kind of get them in front of the activity that you said that they, you both liked. And you quickly realize, oh, maybe maybe that was just something that was said. So mm-hmm. I, I think I'm for kind of checking out clubs like that or groups like that. Like, I like bike riding and, you know, photography. So I've always been like, oh, I'll check out a meetup or something like that to see if I can meet people who are actually into those things. But I've never followed through with it. So that might be next on my list. Yeah. Challenge your comfort zone. Do it. Yeah. I need to do more of it again. So I feel, so as I mentioned, that was like mid to late 20s. I moved to Chicago. 
forced myself to get out and try all these different social activities. Softball was like the first one I did, but I tried a whole bunch of other like sports and other... Chicago has a ton of like social clubs that do all sorts of different things. And so for a a long while, you know, I kind of just kept signing up for different events, different sports. Uh, And once I developed a friend group, then I stopped doing that as much because I was doing it for the purpose of like finding my people and, you know, people who I had shared interest with. And once I had those people... I was less maybe motivated to continue to to experiment and try new things. But fast forward to the point I'm at right now in my life, and a lot of my friends, you know, have started to have children or do have young families, and I do not want to have children. And so I feel like I'm at this, you know, next turning point in my life where I'm like, okay, so like what is it that drives me? If I'm not necessarily interested in having children, like, I still want to have a fulfilling life and try new things and and do things that I enjoy. But like, what exactly is that? And again, back to this recurring theme, I think I just have to get out of my comfort zone and try some stuff and figure out what that might be. But it's really tough. And I don't know what it is about age that makes it even tougher or feels more difficult to me now than it did even you know, in my mid to late 20s. I think for the most part, any person like that's kind of doing their own thing has difficulty with just like focusing on themselves. Like there's not many people I know that don't like revolve their life around, you know, their kid, their husband, their parent. And I myself have like a lot of codependent tendencies. And I, it's a struggle for me to like kind of just think about me I don't really do it often and when I do think about what I want I kind of draw blanks and you know instead of just sitting there and thinking about it and figuring it out I'm like more than happy to accept like some other idea that somebody else is bringing to my table just so I can like get away from that kind of gross feeling of like ooh, I don't even know like myself but mm-hmm. I think that's just part of the process I agree. Um, and I think, right, like, we're, I'm sure the person I am now will not be the same person I am 10 years from now. And, right, self discovery isn't a finish line or a sprint to your point earlier. This is an ongoing process where I think you need to, you know, again, evaluate the things that you value, the things that you spend your time doing. Um, You need to be willing to try new things and get out of your comfort zone so you can figure out if you're doing the things that are most fulfilling to you. Um, So I want to almost flip because we're kind of talking about like all these exciting things. I'm I'm curious if you have anything on, um, I hate to be like anything negative or on the regretful side, (laughs) but I, I guess I think that's part of it. Like, you know, is there anything that you regret um as you go through your self-discovery process probably not in this era of like my self-discovery but like in the past I had like some self-discovery moments where I thought like I wanted to be promiscuous and try like one night stands and like get super wrapped up in multiple people at once and I thought it was something I needed to experience but it really didn't line up with who I really was and I ended up just feeling terrible about it. Mm -hmm. Um, That's probably one of my bigger regrets because I just feel like I forced it to happen that way because I was so afraid of like being hurt again in a long-term relationship that I was just like kind of like, screw it. I'm just gonna, you know, try having sex with different people and uh, not get attached and it completely just backfired on me almost in every possible way. I think when I think of regret, the two things that come to mind, one is more like partying and drinking because it was definitely to excess at times for me. And I, you know, I mean, part of me is like, was I just trying to numb, you know, my mom had passed away and I was grieving in a lot of my 20s and was the just a way for me to try to 
numb it instead of actually deal with the grief. Um, and then, of course, you've got that culture in college and in your 20s where like partying is a bit normalized in our society. But like I was taking it to excess sometimes I, and I do regret that part of it. And then I think that led to other um, you know, risky behaviors for myself. Like I remember one time and this was like so horrible to think back at, but I remember one time driving like drunk and, um, it was like terrifying. I realized it when I was driving, I was like, Oh my gosh. And I pulled over and there was like a waffle house there. And I was like, I'm just going to go sit in this waffle house. It's open 24 seven. I'm going to eat food and I'm going to sit here until I sober up. Even if that's like six, seven hours from now, like I'm not going to get back in this car. And thankful for me, like I was not hurt. Nobody else was hurt. And it was like a, okay, you need to like wake up. You can't, you can't get in a vehicle if you've been driving, you know? Um, So I think like that's a moment that I absolutely regret. And I think it was part of a bigger, you know, problem with like drinking um, but the other thing that I think I regret more in my 30s, because that definitely, I, I got out of that phase. I can barely handle a drink now. I have like one or two and I'm like, <laughs> my friends know that I'm like hammered after the first drink and find it hysterical. Um, and I live in Chicago and there's public transportation and taxis everywhere. So like, you know, I can do it very responsibly, no problem. Not that you can't do that anywhere because you can. Uber exists. Um but the other regret I have is like it it's not anything specific. It's like not doing things. Like I regret not taking chances to try a new activity or I regret, you know, maybe not taking an opportunity to do a solo trip somewhere in the world and um, you know, spend a week or two wherever. Um, so it's like not doing things isn't like my new regrets. And so I'm trying to remind myself that inaction tends to lead to regret for me. So I should try things. Yeah, I guess time just goes without you realizing it sometimes. And you're like, oh, I thought I would have done that by now. I guess I should have done it then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm with you on like the travel stuff. Like I always had a lot of ambition to travel. And, and probably in my mid-20s, I did a lot more traveling like... Um, you know, I, I went just places in the U S but it was probably one of the times where I was like, okay, I'm seeing a bunch of things. I'm seeing New York city. I'm seeing Chicago. I'm seeing Colorado. Um, I'm, I'm going to the mountains, whatever. I'm seeing all this stuff. And then I went to Italy and I had like an awesome experience there. And I thought for sure, like I've made it to Italy. I can go to other countries And then I kind of got hooked on the idea of I need to tighten up. I need to like become a responsible adult. I need to achieve these things. I need to find the relationship. I need to get a 401k, buy a house. And like sometimes I realize I'm still not there, but I don't really know if it matters as much now. Like I really wish I was just like taking those trips because why sprint to these things that seem to be making people super stressed out anyway i don't Mm -hmm. i mean i'm the people that i know that do have these things i'm sure they value them but there is a cost in my opinion like now looking at it where i'm like okay maybe i don't value it as much now that i know what it actually entails well and it's like because i i hear you on that i think that's part of it for me um as well and it's like okay these things shouldn't be mutually exclusive like I should you know be able to have some room for travel as well as saving for my future and these you know these other areas and so it's like finding that balance um and again back to the concept of perspective I think you need a little bit of perspective like in your 20s retirement feels like so far away like it's not even you can't even conceptualize it and then I feel like you know your 30s hit and it's like holy shit a decade just went by and I've put nothing you know toward my future or maybe not as much as I would have liked to put toward my future I gotta like buckle down on this 
Um, and it's like you're just going from one extreme to the other, or at least that's how I feel is one extreme to the other. So now I'm like, I'm on that little like seesaw back and forth. And I'm like, okay, where is the balancing point where I can, you know, enjoy a couple of these things? I've been in the workforce for, I don't know, like 15 years now, right? So I'm, I'm you know, making okay money where I can, I can work toward all of these things. I just have to find that balance. Yeah, and in a way, I think that society has kind of been <clears throat> pushing like these like van life situations into people that are like in their twenties or even people under their thirties where they're just like leave it all behind because it's not worth it and you could just be free and do this. But like in a way, I mean. I used to think, oh, that's, like, awesome to be free. But in a way, I'm like, it's kind of like saying that it's not possible to have both. Mm-hmm. You know, like, there have got to be people who are, you know, in their 50s traveling and seeing a bunch of stuff that have something to come home to. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I don't know if it's just, like, we kind of hit a point at in, like, at least our age range where... We didn't have a lot of guidance on how to balance those two things, like to mm-hmm. be thinking more of like travel. Because I know my parents didn't think about traveling different countries and states. They thought about like taking us on family vacations because they knew that's what they were supposed to do. Mm-hmm. But not yeah. like about enriching anything else. They were just doing what they thought was good for the family unit. So we're kind of, I think going to be that generation that finds the balance yeah yeah i think it's important for me to have some roots you know and have a place that feels like home um but i also think when i think about traveling i i also so there's like the van life i totally agree of like just cut loose don't have any roots um but then like the other extreme that i think i grew up more with was like having these luxury family vacations even if it weren't even if it wasn't like my family having them like that like lifestyles of the rich and famous and like these shows where they would like stay in these opulent amazing hotels and like all-inclusive resorts and these like really extravagant travels and like I don't actually think that that's very fulfilling for me um you know I have a lot more fun where I'm at a place that's more simple and I can just like go out and and wander and try the local restaurants and explore the neighborhood and I really just need like kind of a place to be able to sleep and spend the evening um, that's obviously like safe and all that jazz but yeah so I think in part of finding the balance is also like you don't have to have the extreme vacation that's like yeah lifestyles of the rich and famous i think that's why cruises appeal to a lot of people because you are Mm -hmm. floating on this like magnificent boat but you do also get to just like chill out and do nothing and have Mm -hmm. not a single plan that you have to make and i think that's kind of like the appeal of doing that um yeah and you can get off on the port and, and explore too so that's kind of hitting a different different stuff at once as far as vacations go yeah no i agree so as we wrap up our discussion on self-discovery do you have any closing thoughts closing tips that you either want to tell me because i could use them or our listeners or just a reminder for yourself um i will i will say that i i do think that self-discovery is mostly a solo journey but i do also think that if you can find other people that are having like the same interests of discovering for themselves that you can kind of explore that together or or at least surround yourself with people that are open to you know or or respect that you're doing that and also kind of have that kind of path in mind for themselves that's a great tip um i definitely find that there's only certain people i can talk to about some of these things um, but it's really meaningful to have an, an impactful and motivating sometimes too right because you know as i stated 
none of my journeys have ever been a straight line. There's been a lot of zigging and zagging. And so in those moments where you're hitting a valley, I think it is helpful to have other people that you know, could relate to that. Um, and even though they might not be going after the exact same things as you are, they're still on that journey. They get that there's the valleys that happen. Um, I think that's, that's a big one. I don't, um, I, I don't know if I have any tips other than to be open to professional help if you need it because I think that's also a big part of this journey for myself is I've been in counseling before and I think I'm ready to go back into and actually I know I'm more than ready because I definitely called around to some counselors this week but none of them returned my calls (laughs) so I have to make some more calls you know I work in this field and I will say right now like a lot of mental health clinicians are so booked because of the pandemic and the way that's been impacting everyone um but yeah I guess that would be my tip is not to be afraid of professional help especially because you know I think in self-discovery sometimes you discover things that you either don't like or you feel are shortcomings and then that can lead to a lot of negative feelings or at least for me that's been an experience I've had where Um, you know, I don't feel great about it. And I don't want that to get to a place where I feel like I'm in crisis over it or that it feels, you know, helpless or hopeless in any way. I don't ever want that to be the outcome of self-discovery for me. So the fact that I'm noticing some hurdles and I'm like tripping over, you know, tripping during this process. um, Yeah, that would be my advice is if you find yourself in that position, don't be afraid to reach out for some professional support. Because it ain't easy, you know? Oh, that's great advice. Yeah, I, I definitely have done my part of therapy. I think that it's probably something I will revisit eventually, but it, it's it's changed my life for the better. Yeah, I agree. Well, I think on that note, we can say goodbye for now and catch you next time. See you next time. <laughs>